You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Back with a vengeance. Off and running on this Thursday that feels like a Monday. January 2nd, 2020. You remember that song, right? Yeah, it's the Gordon Damer Show. It's 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. Whole lot to do because we've been away for oh so long. And we'll run through it all over the next hour as we take you up until Golik and Wingo, who come your way at 6 o'clock this Thursday edition. I have to keep reminding myself it's Thursday today. It is not Monday. Yesterday was not Sunday. It felt like a Sunday until you turned on and were looking for some NFL football. But the number, of course, you know, 1-800-919-ESPN on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Dammer. Daily poll question is up for today, and we will get to that in just a little while, as we always do. But a couple of things to get out of the way right off the bat. Obviously, this is our first show of the new year, the new decade. So first off, happy New Year's to you, to New New Year, not you, New Year's, New Year to you and yours. Uh, I don't know if it's the fact that it's just a new year or maybe that I'm getting older or the fact that it's a new decade or the fact it's 2020, which still sounds kind of weird to say. But I found myself in a far more reflective mood this year than in most years. So let me be the first to say to you, our listeners, our followers, our callers, I just want to say thank you. You know, you kind of forged this bond working at this time. And if I, in some way, make your drive just a smidge better, hopefully more entertaining, I just want to say thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. And even if it's just listening to a cranky old sports fan rambling on the radio, I say thank you. Secondly, we have to say right off the top, some very somber news to relay. First, you got the news yesterday, the passing of David Stern, former NBA commissioner at the age of 77, commissioner for three decades. And you'd have to say the the most important three decades in the uh, modern NBA took the sport really from uh, what was an afterthought kind of when I was a kid to what it is and what it has been and what it continues to be. And I have not yet seen the guest list for Golik and Wingo, but I am sure they are going to have a who's who to kind of give you some thoughts, give you some stories about uh, David Stern's legacy. And uh, by now you've probably seen other people give their thoughts on Stern's impact. Uh, To me, the best piece I read was Adrian Wojnarowski's piece. It was just fantastic. So if you read nothing else, or you're looking for something uh, to kind of remember David Stern, I would recommend that piece. It's fantastic. And obviously condolences to the Stern family after the news you got yesterday. And then late last night you get the news about Don Larson. He has also passed away at the age of 90. Larson uh, obviously remembered for the perfect game, 1956 World Series. And it just kind of – that story to me always kind of showed you the beauty of baseball, right? That, that baseball – you know, so the other sports, football – basketball, the main ones, hockey, they're all kind of the same game, just kind of reimagined in different ways. Baseball is completely different. And it just kind of shows, you know, like you always talk about what's the most important thing in baseball. You got to have pitching. You got to have great pitching, especially after this year's World Series, right? You have to have great starting pitching. And who knows, maybe if the World Series doesn't play out the way it did, Maybe Garrett Cole's contract is not nearly as substantial as it turned out to be. But even at a time when you get into the postseason, the best teams, you would think the best pitchers are pitching. It only has happened one time that you've got a perfect game in the uh, in the World Series. 
And the other part of it is, it kind of speaks to the beauty of baseball. Here's this journeyman guy, a story that's been told, you know, a bunch of times about Don Larson. He was, not that wins and losses is a great indicator, but it was a better indicator back then, I guess, because the the reliance on starting pitching. He was 3-21 and the year before for the Orioles. Gets traded to the Yankees as part of a 17-player trade. He pitches in the World Series in Game 2, gets knocked out. I think he got knocked out in the first inning. Didn't know if he was going to pitch again in that World Series. He decided They decided that the, he was going to get, I think it was Casey Stingle was the manager at the time, decided to go with him uh, another time in Game 5. It turns out to be uh, only one of the most memorable performances in, in baseball history. And then, of course, it was in 99 where he was at David Cohn's perfect game, which was kind of a freaky thing. So uh, condolences to the uh, Larson family as well. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So lots of stuff to get into today. Knicks win last night, so they have now won three in a row. Carmelo Anthony back at the Garden last night, which i got to touch on. But you know what? Let's start a little further back because both the Jets and Giants have had their season-ending press conferences, and I have to be honest with you. Even though I was watching the Knicks last night and seeing Carmelo do what he did and some of the things that were said and, and focused on, which I thought were kind of a little strange, and the reaction I thought was a little strange as well. The thing that I spent most of my time focused on when I haven't been doing shows has been, and I have to be honest, I have spent an ungodly amount of time wondering the true identity of Wyatt V18. <laughs> I have spent more time, I have gone down that rabbit hole for more than an hour or two. But, you know, the Giants on Monday, and I was on with Chris Canty on Monday when they made it official with Pat Shermer, that was about the least surprising thing that we we're going to see for quite some time, right? Like everybody kind of knew that that was the deal. And the only question was, was whether or not Dave Gettleman was going to be following him out the door, whether or not the Giants decide to just clean house or whether they decide to take the half measure and bring back Gettleman and allow him to find another head coach. So when the season ended... Gettleman had said, see you on Tuesday, meaning that he would have a press conference. But you didn't know, you know, there's some speculation of whether or not he would uh, be announcing his retirement or, or something along those lines. But no, he is back. He is going to remain the GM. He is going to have a hand, obviously, in the coaching search. And when he had that press conference, he finally faced some tough questions, right? Some fair questions, but some tough questions. And... I think it's safe to say, much like the Giants' season, it did not go well. Now, let me preface this by saying, in fairness, give you both sides of it and you can feel however you want at 1-800-919-ESPN. There was nothing that Dave Gettleman could say that would have been acceptable. There's nothing he could have said that people would have felt good about him, the direction of the team currently. There was nothing that he was going to be able to come out and say, and people's main reaction would have been, you know what? It's Dave Gettleman. I think he's the right guy. You know why? Because it's this game we play. And we pretend, we, we don't allude to the game. I do. But the game is, you are based on the record. So... If the record had been 500, the reaction would have been a little bit more 
of whether or not Dave Gettleman did a good job explaining his his focus or his uh, direction or his oversight of the organization. But at 9-23, and 23, you can't talk your way out of that. You can't talk your way out of 9-23. and 23. And everything is going to be judged by the record. And on the other side of it, if in the two years that Dave Gettleman's been running the Giants, they turned out to be 23-9, and nine, he could have come in there, as I used the, the, you know, the description other time, flipping the big double middle fingers and blowing raspberries with his lips. And uh, everybody would like, you know that Dave Gettleman, he's amazing. He is, uh, he's an impressive guy. Not many people would have taken the tack that he has. But I guess my first takeaway, and maybe this is your takeaway too, is by when listening to that press conference, which was it was must see internet. It's not must see TV. I didn't watch it on a TV. I watched it on the internet. It was must see internet. Because my first takeaway was, how could this person convince not one but two billionaires? That he's the right person for the job to lead the organization out of these doldrums. When on some of the most basic expected questions, he didn't have really any good answers. Here is just a little snippet of Dave Gettleman from Tuesday talking about the advancements. And I think this is probably his low point. The advancements. In analytics. So over time, since I got here, we have regenerated, we have rebooted, so to speak, and done a lot of things behind the scenes that needed to be done. Uh, John alluded to them yesterday. Um, we've completely redone our scouting situation, our per- how we look at college personnel, how we look at pro personnel. We have, we're in the process of, we've hired four computer folks, uh, uh, software, and we are completely redoing our back end of our college and pro scouting systems. When he's talking about his computer folks, it sounds like he hired the Geek Squad to come in and kind of run AO, put that AOL disc in there and kind of run that program. His reasoning for the Leonard Williams trade His defense of his position on analytics in the past when, you know, oh, I was just kidding. Yes, but your actions tell us that you weren't just kidding, that that's actually the way you feel. His answer to the question of the culture being better, I'm not going to play all the audio because by now you've probably heard it all. But much like Pat Shermer's answers about a month ago about how he's talking about the improvements are happening behind the scenes, it, it was nonsensical. But, you know, the biggest question, though, and it did get asked, but it has not gotten the most attention. The biggest question moving forward is whether or not his reputation of being difficult to work with is going to impact the Giants now as they search for another head coach. And that has to be the biggest question. Because there's not really any answers he's going to give you for any of the other things that's going to make you feel any better because all those other things have kind of gone wrong. But he said that, you know, it's nonsense, basically, that he has this reputation that he's hard to work with. Here's Gettleman. You know, I I, I, I don't understand the notion that I'm tough to work with. Um, I think it'd be from people who don't know me. Um 
Obviously, as we move forward in the coaching search, it's the dating game. And there'll, there'll be that opportunity for them to look me in the eye and say, hey, Dave, what up? So, you know, it's, it's I, I don't understand that. I really don't. I don't know where it's coming from. All right, so there you go. There's another big sigh there at the end. Was that, was that, was that edited like that? I don't know. He says it's nonsense. But you and I both know. If you have people that you work with who are difficult to work with, they're always the last to know that they're difficult to work with. And the evidence is going to be there because in this coaching cycle, the Giants job has to be seen as one of, if not the best jobs available, simply because there are not that many jobs available and two of them, one has already been filled you would have to say are probably two of the worst jobs to have in Cleveland and in Washington. And the Giants do have a lot going for them. Not the record recently. They have a lot of young players, and who knows how those players are going to pan out. But they have stable ownership. They have a history of success. The quarterback's in place. They have a high draft pick again this year. They have cap space. And it would seem like a perfect spot for the hot coaching name. And the hot coaching name this year is Matt Rule. He's worked for the Giants. He's set to interview for the job. And his name is clearly atop the list. And there are varying reports. One is that the Giants are his dream job. But there's also reports that he has no interest in working with Dave Gettleman. So most of Dave Gettleman's answers, there's no way for him to put up a reasonable defense. But the idea that he's difficult to work with is one that he can, at least for now. But if the Giants, and if the Giants go out and hire Matt Rule, well, it's pretty clearly not the case. He went out and got the guy that I think most Giant fans are on board with. And a guy that has more than one opportunity, has already had an opportunity last year with the Jets, and now has more opportunities this year. But if we get into this, and we get a week or two into it, And Matt Rule decides, well, you know what? He's not really all that interested in the Giants' job. It kind of makes it harder to make that case. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So our poll question, which is up for today, Giants' coaching search already underway. They're looking at some various names, names you've heard before. Our question is not so much who you want. That's not the question. We've done that one in the past. But now that you're starting to get a little bit of a lay of the land, when the announcement does come down that the Giants have a new coach, who will that coach be? And we gave you four possibilities. A, Matt Rule, the hot name. B, Mike McCarthy, who certainly seems like a guy who's going to get another opportunity here after sitting out a year and who certainly does have an impressive resume. Maybe not the sexiest name. That's number two. Wink Martindale is the uh, defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. He is going to interview. And then the fourth name that we included is Jason Garrett, who, at least as of right now at 515 on a Thursday, which feels like Monday, is still the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. But those are your four options. Vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Coming up, I will give you my answer. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. We focused a lot of time on the Giants already, but also the Jets. They had their season-ending press conference as well. 
with both Adam Gase and Joe Douglas. Le'Veon, my, my personal experience with Le'Veon has been so, very positive. Um, he's done everything we've asked him to do uh, as, a, as a person, as a teammate. Um, I touched on it last time I talked to you guys. Um, he's one of our best workers. He's, he's one of our best teammates. He's, he connects and engages with everybody. So, you know, I, I'm, I can't say enough positive things about Le'Veon. All right, so there's Joe Douglas, his press conference. Far less noteworthy, which uh, is perfect. <laughs> That's what you want, right? The last thing you want is for the subject of the press conference to be talked about after it's over days ago. Because if you're still talking about the performance of the person at the press conference days later, that's a sign it did not go well. And the fact that we opened up with Dave Gettleman is a sign that that one did not go well. But, you know, for Joe Douglas, he's kind of had... um He's kind of had a free pass this year, right? He came in too late to do anything. He wasn't running the draft. He wasn't running free agency. And while he made some moves while he was here, uh, it's it's now's the time that we're going to find out about Joe Douglas, or at least uh, we're going to start to find out, right? One off season is not enough, I don't think, to cure all that ills the New York Jets. But the Jets are going to have a fascinating off season, and it's going to be a more interesting off season, I think than it was a regular season, which is not a great sign. The fact that your offseason is more interesting than your regular season is a sign of a bad team. But there's lots of questions, even after an offseason last year, which was supposed to cure a lot of the ills, right? You'd had season after season of four or five wins, and then you had all this cap space, you had another high pick, a second year of your quarterback going into, and it didn't it didn't play out for a, a variety of reasons. It really went south even before the mono thing with with Darnold. Uh, when the decision was made to move on from from Mike McCagden, it felt like that was uh, already one step uh, with one foot in the bucket there in terms of what was coming for the season. But in terms of questions this year, you know him, I know him. Livion Bell, does he get traded? Can you get anything of value for that guy? Are you better off just keeping him? I got to be honest, of my following of Adam Gase, I will be stunned. And, and I know Adam Gase is going to make it out like, you know, I just work here. I, I have nothing. That's a Joe Douglas question. I, I barely even know Joe. You know, we pass in the halls, but we don't really, we don't really talk to each other. No, I mean, the end of the day, it's going to be that, uh, that Adam Gase is going to give the thumbs up or thumbs down on whatever a possible deal for Livion Bell will be. And I just can't see him even though you're probably not going to get a whole lot for him, I just can't see him being back uh, again next year. But that, I think, is one of the first things you're going to have to address. Then you're going to have to address Jamal Adams, and are you going to make him the highest-paid safety, which he is going to want to be, especially after everything that happened uh, during the uh, during the season about uh, shopping him, not shopping him, listening to calls, not listening to calls. Robbie Anderson's a free agent. The offensive line is basically uh, needs everything. So lots to run through, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it breaks down. Now, as for the Giants and our poll question today, which is uh, up on the old Twitter machine, at Gordon Damer, Giants coaching search underway with some interviews set to take place this week. I think Mike McCarthy is on Friday, right? And then uh, they're going to talk with Matt Rule, who is certainly a uh, top candidate. Wink Martindale, the Ravens defensive coordinator, is out there. And uh, Jason Garrett, whose name has been mentioned, although as of right now, still the the Cowboys head coach, which I got to be honest, that one is very, very weird to me. So let's run through the names. Look, I think Matt Rule, if I were the guy picking, 
that would be the guy I'd probably go with. I think that he has a higher ceiling maybe than Mike McCarthy, although Mike McCarthy, I think, has a, a, a safer floor. Like, I don't think that if you bring in Mike McCarthy, you're going to win three or four games next year. Like, I think he'll put you on the right track. He obviously has been chomping at the bit trying to get back into the league. Uh, I don't know if you saw the piece that NFL Network kind of ran on Mike McCarthy. If you're wondering what he's been doing while after getting let go by uh, the Packers, during the season, he and his coaches have basically been gathering like they are running an NFL team. Like they have meetings at his house. They run through every single game. They're looking at video. They're looking at games. They're breaking things down so that when, if, and when he does get the opportunity, he can hit the ground running. So I don't think Mike McCarthy would be a bad name. I certainly think that that would be an improvement over what the, uh, this idea that Mike McCarthy can't coach in the NFL is absolutely ridiculous. Should he maybe have gotten more out of the situation in Green Bay? Yeah, maybe. But the dude was in the playoffs every single year. He did win a Super Bowl. It's not like he never won. And if you're looking at the resumes of people, it's funny to me because I, I feel like I hear more people supportive of Jason Garrett than they do Mike McCarthy. Again, I understand. He, maybe he didn't get, he didn't maximize the opportunity in Green Bay maybe as much as he should have with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. But the idea that if you hire Mike McCall, oh, what a disaster that would be. If you could go back right now and get uh, Christopher Johnson in a, in a private room with two buttons in front of him and he could do it all over again and still hire Adam Gase or go the Mike McCarthy route, what, what, which one do you think he would have went with? Because I think he would have probably, th- I thought so at the time, and I certainly feel so now that Mike McCarthy would have been the better hire. But I don't think that Matt Rule or Mike McCarthy are the one. as I sit here right now on January 2nd, those are not the ones that I feel are going to get the job. I think that Matt Rule, it just seems like an odd pairing that Matt Rule, this guy who has sat back, not jumped at the first opportunity to get a head coaching job in the NFL, talked about how much he likes Baylor, and will have other opportunities, right? Like, it doesn't really – I get that, that sometimes from year to year names change and the hot candidate one year is not the hot candidate next year. So maybe you have to jump at the chance. But Matt Rule has not done that already. Like he has shown the patience with the, the Jets job that he wasn't comfortable with the situation. It just seems kind of hard for me to believe that his his jumping to the NFL is going to be with Dave Gettleman as the GM. Now maybe they have a better relationship than I know. And maybe Dave Gettleman's right when he's saying that uh, the people say that I'm hard to work with. It's just people that don't know me. But it just feels an odd pairing. The pairing of McCarthy and Gettleman seems to make more more sense just from a personality standpoint and a feel standpoint, even though they've never, I don't believe, worked together or have any relationship in terms of working together in an organization. That one seems – but I don't think either of them are going to be the one. To me, just sitting as an outsider and looking at what's going on in Dallas – it feels like there's there could only be one reason why they have not fired Jason Garrett, and that's because they don't want him to go to another organization. And there's not that many organizations that he could possibly go to. It seems like Jerry Jones really likes Jason Garrett, and would I would think that if you really like somebody and you're going to move on from him as head coach, you wouldn't mind him getting another opportunity someplace else. I just think that they don't want him 
to get the opportunity with the team they're going to see twice a year. And that would obviously be the Giants. Like, are they holding on to Jason Garrett just so he doesn't get the Carolina job? Because that's real. I mean, where else would he be going? Cleveland? I mean, there's not that many jobs that are open. So it's just very strange that a decision would you? I mean, I cannot. I'll tell you right now. If they bring back Jason Garrett, I'm going to have to stop watching sports. Because I can't take another year of, hey, the Cowboys lost this game in September. Is Jason Garrett on the hot seat? Like, if he's not on the hot seat... If the seat is not hot enough for him to stand up and leave, does he just have a job for life? I mean, he's had, he's been there 10 years. That is an eternity in the NFL. So the only reason I can think that they're having this back and forth in these meetings is that they simply don't want him to go get another job in the division. And the only job that would be available in the division would be with the, with the Giants. So if I had a vote on the poll question today, I'd say probably right now the 18th, because I think eventually Dallas is going to have to say either we want him to be our coach or not. And if you're going through this many gymnastics to try and and, and meetings and this and that, eventually you're going to say, you know what, it's just not right. We have to move on. And if they do that, I would think that at some point we're going to have to have some sort of decision before really we get deep into next week of who the Dallas Cowboys coach is going to be, that I think that Jason Garrett, it, it seems like that would kind of tick a lot of boxes. They, the Giants have a relationship with him, kind of like they have a relationship with the Dave Gettleman before he got the job. They didn't really do a real search for a new GM before they gave it to Dave Gettleman. So I, I think that of all the names, and we couldn't include all of them, like Josh McDaniels has already interviewed for the job a couple of years ago, I think if I had to put my money down on anybody, I think it would probably be Jason Garrett. 1-800-919-ESPN, one So coming up, we'll get your phone calls. Uh, we also get into a little bit of the New York Knicks. 2020 belongs to the New York Knicks. Has anyone already started to write the article about how the Knicks make their playoff push this year? It's coming. It's coming, people. You know it's coming. I have not seen all the uh, stories today at the Post and the Daily News, but you know somewhere, somebody, all right, well, if they can go uh, in the, over these next 10, if they can win seven of the next 10, they'll only be three and a half out of a playoff spot. So we'll get into that next. And Carmelo Anthony's return last night, which I thought started properly. But somewhere along the line, it went off the rails. And then after the game, it really went off the rails. So we'll get into that next. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Kina going left. Look off, throws it up. And Robinson catches and goes up for the righty slam. A 20-point game with some huge dunks for Robinson. The next decade belongs to the New York Knicks. Ed Cohen the call on 98.7 last night. The Knicks. Whose Knicks? Your Knicks. My Knicks. Everyone's Knicks. They go out and win again. Three in a row. First three-game winning streak, and I think it's two years. It feels longer than that, right? It feels much, much, they definitely had a three-game winning streak last year. But I guess in terms of, I think that was in November. So they didn't have one the last part of of last year, 2019. 
So, yeah, it was, it's a little over a year at least. But, hey, look, three wins in a row. And more importantly, it's nice to be able to turn on a game involving a team that you root for and it not be a disaster and not to be a, a, a joke right from jump, which the Knicks earlier this year under David Fisdale, it was a disaster. So they go out last night. They beat the Blazers 117-93. to Carmelo Anthony back at the Garden. Got a loud ovation uh, before the game, which was completely fitting. Mellow, absolute. I know there's a lot of mellow haters out there. He deserved a, a, a sta- an ovation. I don't know if it was a standing ovation, but it was definitely an ovation. He got a nice round of applause before the game. It was loud. Uh, and I think that he deserved that because... Now, I don't know if it was for the right reasons or not, but at least publicly, he was a guy who wanted to be here. And he was a really good player who had one amazing season, right? The 54 wins that one year. He led the league in scoring that year. So to me, I know that there was some questions. Oh, is he going to get booed? I I never thought there was any possibility of him getting booed. It wasn't like he orchestrated his way out of town like Porzingis. So the the ovation before the game I thought was completely fitting. But three things happened last night that I thought were kind of amazing. A, it was amazing how bad Damian Lillard was during the game. I mean, he was, a, he, speaking of disasters, I mean, he couldn't throw it in the ocean. And he, he hit some shots. I guess it was, maybe it was late third quarter, early fourth quarter. It was amazing how many alley-oops to Mitchell Robinson. It was like alley-oop night at the Garden last night. Like, how many times are they going to throw alley-oops to to Mitchell Robinson before somebody says, you know what, they're going to do another alley-oop here. And then I thought the third thing that was amazing was just how beloved Mello was throughout the game. Like, I get it. If I was at the game, yes, nice round of applause before the game, mellow back at the garden. But it was like every, it was like the conquering hero returned. At one point, there was a timeout. He came out of the game. People were cheering him for that. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, look, it's good in the now that the Knicks are playing better. Now they're just regular bad, right? Like they're not laughing stock bad. They're just regular crappy, right? And that, and that's an improvement. Because where they were before, they were not regular crappy. They were all-time crappy. So I'm glad. Credit to Mike Miller. He's winning the way you kind of want them to win, right? Like, R.J. Barrett has struggled. has really not been able to put two good games back-to-back. Struggled last night with a shot. Uh, but Mitchell Robinson was was a beast off the bench last night. Neil Aquina is getting his minutes. The the guy the the veteran guys are not really playing at at the expense of uh, of other guys. Uh, Julius Randle certainly seems like a much more functioning NBA player now. It's not uh, everything's isolation and him dribbling off his foot every time down the court, which is the way it felt kind of earlier this year. Marcus Morris has certainly uh, been a positive, and whether or not you move him for a pick before the trade deadline, we'll see. This is all, I mean, just keep in mind, this is all terrible for the long term. Like if you, my New Year's resolution is to be more positive in 2020. I'm going to be realistic too, though. Like if you're somebody like me who thinks the way the Knicks actually get to be good again is to have fundamental change in the front office, 
this is this is really bad. Like winning now is, is not and, and being close even to a playoff spot is bad in the long term. But right now it's nice. It's absolutely nice. Now as for Melo, I, I'm glad that he got the cheers, even if I do feel like it was a bit much. And last night was the typical Melo game, right? He went out, scored 26, and his team lost. I, I remember that well. It was like turn back the clock night, but it was just that he was on another team. But then after the game last night, I see this story and other people kind of tweeting this about Mello being asked about having his number retired by the Knicks. That he was looking up to the rafters before the game and thinking about it. I'm not a Mello hater. I like Mello. He seems like a good dude. But you would have to be higher than the rafters. To think that he deserves to have his number retired. I mean, what are people talking about? He was a good player. The team was largely terrible with him here. They didn't have any deep playoff runs. They won one playoff series. And then kind of took the shine off the, the rose or shine off the, 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 the first round playoff series by, by losing to the, the Pacers in the second round. In a series they probably, they really shouldn't have lost. It takes a little – I get that Nick fans are, are, are like the guy going through the desert and they're just looking for anything at all. And, and Melo's time here was at least something, right? That was something positive to look forward to. He was a good player even though the team was largely bad. But if you're someone who thinks that Melo, Carmelo Anthony, deserves to have his number retired, based on What? The fact that he had one amazing season where the Knicks won 54 games? I have to assume that you are just of an age that you don't remember the Knicks being actually good. That's the only defense whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying that he's not a Hall of Fame player. Put him in the Hall of Fame. But he's not a Knicks all-time great. He's just not. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Our poll question up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, all about the uh, Giants. Who do you think the uh, next head coach, not who you want, because I think then uh, we really only need probably two people. There there doesn't seem to be a long list of people on the Giants coaching search list that I think most fans want. I think it would probably just be Matt Rule, and it would probably be a, a bit of a blowout. I don't get the sense that a lot of... The, there's giant fans out there who are like, yes, Mike McCarthy. But we gave you four names of who do you think will actually be the next head coach. Matt Rule, Mike McCarthy, Wink Martindale, the uh, defensive coordinator from the Ravens whose name is on the list, and uh, Jason Garrett. And uh, just with the way that things are playing out in Dallas, it, it makes me feel like Dallas knows that if they let go of Jason Garrett right now, that the Giants are going to swoop in, and I guess they just don't want that to happen. I would think that that would be good. After watching 10 years of Jason Garrett be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, I feel like that would be a good move for the Dallas Cowboys. That would be the best thing they can do outside of things that they can do. And hiring somebody for themselves who's going to be a a better head coach than uh, Jason Garrett was. But uh, that's the poll question. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. But let's get some phone calls in because I've not done that as of yet. And I said I was going to. And that's uh, part of the new year, 2020, following through with your New Year's resolutions. At least for one full day. Let's go out to Floyd in Harlem. Floyd, what's going on, my man? Happy New Year's. Thanks for having me, G. What's up, man? Hey, listen, I, 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 
I told you guys in the beginning of the year when I was on when I was on this show. Just eliminate that defensive coordinator for the Giants, and then if you don't, if we don't hire the guy from the Ravens for for our uh, coach, at least have him defensive coordinator. Well, I mean, if he's the defensive coordinator with the Ravens, I don't know what his contract situation is, but I would right, assume that he would probably just that. rather stay there. Well, that's why I'm mentioning that because I don't know his contract situation either. But if he if if he has to go, if he's not our head coach, hire him as because this defensive coordinator to me is the pitch. I know these guys are youngs, but I don't see any improvement in them. Yeah, no. I'm look. I'm not going to tell you that uh, James Betcher did uh, that. He got the most out of the talent that he had. He did have a very young defense, but it did seem like even late in the year that guys, especially in the secondary, were still weren't uh, weren't sure of what their assignment were. You know, there were times where the defense didn't play that poorly, but then they would have these big plays out of nowhere where it just seemed like everybody was lost. So, I, look, I think clearly the Giants not only going to have a new head coach, they're going to have a new defensive coordinator next year. And uh, I think it's more about trying to get more talent because uh, that, I think, is still the, the number one thing. Like James Betcher, you, I don't really know that you could have had a defensive coordinator that you would have said, wow, this guy just has these guys all on the same page just because they're so young. I think the Giants had the second most snaps of – like the, the the youngest players in terms of snaps this year, either one or two. So, I mean, they have a lot of youth there, and especially in the secondary, that's going to be a tough position to, to get guys up to speed right away. Let's go out to Rob in Jersey. Rob, what's going on, my man? Hey, Gordon, three quick things. I think uh, something was lost in translation when they said retiring Carmelo's number. I think they meant canceling the number, never using it again <laughs> for anybody else. Yeah, I mean, um, look, I'm not going to be that strong, but yeah, I mean, retiring is number. What, I mean, what you know what? Thinking? The guy was the ultimate stat compiler, right? He's the classic example of a guy who can shoot, and he's a good player on a bad team, but they're bad because of him, right? And one thing that really scares me, uh, I, I'm a Net fan, you know, forever. The Kyrie deal I thought was horrible. He's now been two places where people hate his guts. He's always hurt. That guy's got serious emotional problems that – are going to come out again with the Nets, and that's going to be a lost contract. And one third thing, I listened to the uh, to the Gettleman press conference the other day. He was so combative and so defensive, and somebody asked him about their secrecy, about not talking to the fans, and he said, yeah, you know, we looked around the NFL and no other GMs talked to their fans, so we didn't think we should do it, and uh, too bad. And that blew me away the way, you know, that wasn't really reported on so heavily, heavily, but that tells you a lot about his particular mindset. Yeah, I mean, he talked about it. I, I don't know if I remember that one per se, but I know he talked about uh, that uh, Pat Shermer was the one taking the bullets week in and week out, and he felt bad about that. I mean, y- y- the only time that I thought that it was that during the season that it would have been required of him to speak and he did not speak was when they made the Leonard Williams deal. Right, like the GM pulls off this deal, and and maybe if you want to feel good about Joe Douglas, I mean, not that he's had a lot of things to do since he's gotten here, but that I think would probably be the one you feel the best about that he was able to get uh, get rid of Leonard Williams for what looks like it's going to be a third round pick, which is going to be one of the what the fourth pick in the in the in the third round, so a very high third round pick and a fourth round pick. 
a guy that you weren't going to pay anyway. So that that's a, a bang-up move by uh, Joe Douglas there. And whether or not the Giants are – I brought this up to Chris Canty the other day. Like, what's the worst move for the Giants at this point? Like, is it worse that you gave up a 3 and a 5 and you don't get the player back? Or is it worse that you give up a 3 and a 4 and you're paying a guy more than – in excess of $10 million – for a guy that's probably not really worth what he's going to be getting paid. He's he's not a guy that really disrupts. I mean, he might be a, a nice run defender, but he's not he's not panned out to be the guy that um that you thought he was going to be. And you know, it's almost like uh, that move is almost like his reasoning behind the move almost sounded like when remember when they made the um the Odell move and they got back um uh, Peppers and he's talking about, well, you know, this guy used to be a first-round pick. It almost seems like he's, like, putting weight into where the guys were before or, or where they were drafted because Leonard Williams, you know, if we did it all over again. Leonard Williams was not the sixth best player in that draft. And to think now that the Giants are going to go out this offseason, not only give up a third and a fourth, but then take some of the cap space and his reasoning – his idea, his 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 plan behind that too about the the compensatory pick, it doesn't seem like that that makes any sense either. So no, it was not a it was not a great press conference for uh, Dave Gettleman the other day. But uh, to me, the one thing that he can do moving forward, and we'll see whether or not it turns out to be the case, he can prove at least that his reputation of being difficult to work with does not carry any weight. And I get that the Giants the, – the reason that the Giants brought him back was they, they didn't want to have to go do a whole other research here. And they probably feel like, you know what, two years is not really a fair period to judge a GM, right? Like usually you say you have to give a draft three years before you can judge it. He's only been here two years, so I guess that's their reasoning behind keeping him and, and getting rid of the coach. But when you, if, if 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 it does turn out that Matt Rule, who at least according to some reports that this is his dream job, if he interviews and then kind of fades away or he pulls his name out of consideration, to me that's a sign that that Gettleman's answer to that question about whether or not he's difficult to work with or an ideal person to work with, that just shows you that uh, that 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 his reasoning there doesn't really carry a lot of weight. Much like the other ones, much like the other answers that he gave. Because I really can't find one that he was talking about that I said, yeah, you know what? That may, all right. I didn't really feel that way coming in, but his explanation here at least gives me a, a little bit more leeway in his favor. Or at least it kind of makes me reevaluate the, the, the way I feel about this move or that move or this decision or that decision. It doesn't really seem uh, – I, I couldn't find one while watching that press conference where I said, you know what, that makes me feel a lot better about the direction of the Giants. The only one that I guess you could say is is up in the air some is whether or not he's difficult to work with. Because when the mo- when, when it was announced that he was coming back, one of the reasons why I didn't like it was I feel like it kind of narrows your candidate. You You want to have – to be as wide open – a process as possible. And part of the reason I think that uh, the Gettleman hiring, I didn't like it when they made it, was because it didn't really seem like they interviewed anybody. They just knew that Dave Gettleman was available. He was let go in Carolina. He's a relationship guy with the Giants, and we'll bring him in. And, and maybe if they had that move to, to, to do over again, maybe they would have looked in another direction. Let's squeeze in a couple more here. Marty is in Lindhurst. Marty, what's going on, my man? 
Oh, good morning, Gordon. Gordon, I just I was watching the Baylor game last night, and I know that there's a lot of talk about hiring the Baylor coach for the Giants. Yeah. But I saw a game that was so mismanaged by a coach, and I'm going to give you a, a particular play. They had a fourth and four on the uh, Georgia 46-yard line in the third quarter mm-hmm. with 10 minutes left in the third quarter, losing 19-7, and the momentum is going their way. And he decides to go for it on a fourth and four. They get completely uh, demolished. And uh, four plays later, Georgia increases the lead to 26-7. Where do you go on a fourth and four from the 46-yard line with 10 minutes left in the third quarter? Poor coaching. We don't need the college flavor of the month. I think we can use somebody with a lot more experience than that. I mean, look, if they decide to go that way, uh, it would not be that surprising to me. Uh, I still don't – I mean, Mike McCarthy are probably number two on my list in terms of voting, uh, of who I could see there. Uh, that kind of makes sense, just in terms of approach. I, I'm not, I did not watch the uh, the Baylor game. I was watching the Knicks last night, so I did not see – I don't know. I'd have to see the situation and see how I felt in the game because uh, I feel like coaches should be going for it more on fourth down, especially if you're losing in the game – I mean, if you can't stop the other team, you're going to have to score points. So maybe that was his reasoning there. I did not see that exact play, so uh, I'll have to leave it there. All right, that's going to do Speaking of leaving it there, that's going to do it for the show for today. Please vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter. It's at Gordon Damer, in case you uh, do not uh, already know that. You should know that by now. We've been doing this long enough now, now, people, that you should know it. And it's all about the Giants, who uh, will eventually be the next head coach of the Giants. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk more Giants, more Jets, more Knicks, and maybe a little Baseball Hall of Fame as well. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.